and time is our currency. We've switched 100% from a financial currency point of view or mindset to a time is currency mindset. So for us now, we've got so much more time that it feels like we are just the wealthiest people in the world. Hey, this is Steve Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 106. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. I am recording this episode, at least the intro, from my iPhone in a large event hall in Louisville, Kentucky. Alyssa and I are up here this week for the National RV Trade Show. We have never done one of these before, This like a giant RV show. Uh, we had done a smaller one a couple months back with Winnebago, and they invited us back out to this one. We're doing some Facebook Live videos for them. And uh, I'm sitting up here in the event hall this morning at 7.15 a.m., and nobody's here yet. <laughs> so I am knocking out this podcast intro. <laughs> in today's episode, I'm interviewing a guy named Andy who's currently traveling around New Zealand in a bus. Andy travels with his family of four and also runs a YouTube channel called Bus Life New Zealand. Andy's story is kind of a crazy one. A few years ago, he and his wife faced a near-death life experience, and it eventually led them to realize that what they were doing in their life wasn't meaningful, and they wanted to go travel and see the world, and that they were okay with trading time for money in order to go chase after what they really, really wanted. So Andy bought an old bus and converted it and documented that progress over the course of a couple of years making videos and eventually building a community and a following on YouTube, which he and his wife have monetized through Patreon and YouTube ads. And it's a really interesting story. And while we do dig into a little bit of the details about how they're currently financing their bus life in New Zealand, we also dig into what it's like traveling New Zealand. Alyssa and I booked our tickets to go and fly over there March 27th of 2018. So we're going to spend nine weeks traveling in New Zealand. So we also dig into a little bit of the details around how do you actually find an RV in New Zealand? Is it better to rent or buy? And these are more or less selfish details because we are going over there and I need to know how to, how to do these things. But if you ever want to go to New Zealand, Andy will tell you how. Before jumping into today's episode, I want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost. I want to thank today's sponsor, WeBoost, and the new 4GX RV cell phone booster. This cell phone booster is something I wish we would have picked up the day we bought our RV because I can't tell you how many times over the past three years we were in truly beautiful places outside of national or state parks, but we had to leave early because there was only one to two bars of Verizon and we couldn't get any work done or it wasn't fast enough to record a podcast over Skype, which is kind of a big deal. The 4GX RV cell booster can take that signal, multiply it up to 32x, and then rebroadcast it throughout the entire RV to give us a significant boost in internet speed. This means more time in beautiful places and faster internet wherever we go. WeBoost's new cell phone booster is made specifically for RVs, and if you want to receive a 10% discount, you can reach out and email me directly, heath at campgroundbooking.com, and I will hook you up with that discount code. Go to weboost.com to learn more about their cell phone boosters. All right, let's get into today's show with Andy. What's up, Andy? Hey, so I uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, no problem, man. I uh, I can't help but looking at your your bus, just how beautiful the interior is, like all the aesthetics. Like you did a really good job on the Reno, man. Thank you, thank you. Not bad for someone who's never picked up a power tool before. Is that for real? You'd never picked up a power tool before this renovation? No. Seriously? No, never. I, I I'm an office worker, one hundred percent. I uh, I think I owned a power drill that someone might have given me for Christmas one year, and uh, I just 
yeah, I just watched YouTube and Googled things and decided that I thought I could give it a go, and I did. <laughs> That's impressive. Alyssa gave me a hard time because our first RV, we moved in, and we only had like a week to do like a small renovation. So it was like we're going to paint the interior, uh, like the engine, everything was running fine, so we didn't really need to do much exterior stuff. We're like, we're going to paint the interior, throw down some uh, wood laminate flooring, and we'll be good. And I'm like, I told Alyssa after I bought some stuff, I was like, I've never even painted a room. I have no idea like what I'm <laughs> even doing here. Uh, but you just kind of figure it out as you go when you watch YouTube videos and, and all that good stuff. So You do, absolutely right. And it's actually not as scary as you think it is. And once you, once you figure out step one, the rest of the steps kind of really fall into place quite easily so and i think when you're doing it on your own vehicle or home or whatever it is as long as you can accept a little bit of imperfection it's uh it's fine you know and just don't be scared and get in there and give it a go yeah and i would think with a bus there's probably some reassurances that happen because you've had to fix and redo so many different elements of it both inside and outside i would think that you have the confidence to know that if something messes up or screws up while you guys are traveling that you can fix it because you already kind of have an understanding of how it works that that's the best part of it i i'm so confident now that if anything in the bus breaks down besides a huge engine failure <laughs> i can i can fix it and i know i know where all the the wiring goes i know what's connected to what i know you know what panel to pull off the wall if i'm looking for something <laughs> it's it's really reassuring and we've had to do it it's just like a home things break down and and you actually have to get in there and fix it and i've never had to call in a professional yet on anything mm. even on the engine failures i've managed to kind of work it out which has been which has been awesome yeah oh that's awesome well Going back to how long have you guys been on the road now? We moved into the bus on December 1st last year, 2016. And uh, we left our jobs. I left my job in the middle of February. And my wife Amber left hers in the middle of March. And then we've been on the road ever since then. So what were you guys doing prior to this? Yeah, great question. So we both work in hotels and tourism. So uh, I was actually a manager for a camper van company for two years leading up to this. So I was working in a hotel-based um, job and then a job came up to manage a, a camper van company and I jumped at it knowing that we were building a bus and I had mm. very little idea about what I was doing. So I got the job, which was amazing, and I ran a fleet of about 2,000 camper vans around New oh, Zealand. Wow. And um, I learned so much. It was incredible. And not only that, but I got access to a lot of... Um, cheap parts and bits and pieces, which was fantastic uh, through trade. And my wife, Amber, was a uh, hotel duty manager. So she worked shift works, uh, shifts, um, you know, through the night and that sort of thing. I work days. The kids are in daycare. We were living the whole suburban life, commuting and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, we, we decided that that was not for us. <laughs> So you got a job with a company in a camper vanning. Is it called the camper van industry? Because in the U.S. it's called the RV industry. So is it called the camper van industry or RV industry? How does that work? I got to get it my is, language down. Yeah, it's it's a really funny one. Um, I I'm really Americanized because I watch so much YouTube and bits and pieces. I call it <laughs> RV. I call it RVing and RV and all that sort of stuff. But I guess New Zealanders will call it a camper van, and it's a particular type of van. It's got to have you know the uh, they call it a Luton, so over the, the, the cab over and all that sort of stuff. That would be a camper van. Hmm. Um, then there's like a bigger one like this would be called a motorhome, for example. 
Gotcha. But RVing kind of covers everything. And the company I work for called it the RV industry. Okay, cool. So at least that's normal. It's kind of interesting because in the, in the U.S., there's also I don't, I'm assuming you guys have like mobile homes too, which are you know like double wide trailer type things, which makes no sense. Like if anything, these should be called mobile homes because they are actually mobile. Those things like get moved once by an oversized load. Anyway, that's just kind of a different random thing. So I feel like we need to rethink some of the the language around RVs because then there's like class A's, class B's, and class C's. But anyway, so you guys. You, you got a job in the RV industry after you decided that y'all wanted to renovate a bus and hit the road. Is that right? Correct. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, so going back before that, what was the inciting incident to even start looking at this lifestyle? Like what made you guys even think about buying a bus? That That's a, a really long story. So buckle in. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was in 2011 was when this whole journey started for us. So I was working as a hotel manager. I was working huge hours and, and, you know, had a successful career and all that sort of stuff. I got a job to move to Australia and another really big job and I took it and we packed up all our stuff. We drove to Christchurch in the South Island of New Zealand and we were staying in a hotel and we were about to move to Australia the next day. So we had all of our belongings packed up in this hotel room on the 25th floor of a, of a high rise building. Uh, at 12.51 p.m. on the day before we were due to fly, a really big, strong earthquake hit. And it was a, it was 6.3 magnitude, but it was only five kilometers deep, and it was only about 10 kilometers away from where we were, the, the, the center of it. And it was just so powerful. It actually had a really devastating impact on the city of Christchurch. And um, a lot of buildings collapsed, 180-odd people died. We were 25 stories up, as I said, and the building that we were in was extremely badly damaged. It was went on a big lean, and all the fire stairs collapsed. We ended up being trapped 25, or ended up getting down to level 22, and we were trapped up there for a few hours, just riding out aftershocks and waiting for the building to collapse around us, basically. All four um, of you guys? No, it was before the kids were born, so it was Amber and myself. And we, yeah, we, we really had a, a life-changing moment. It was, it was a few hours of uh, flight or fright. And, you know, out of that, we came away with a new understanding of life after we managed to escape and got rescued by a crane and all sorts of stuff. So were you guys just, like, sitting there together on this floor, like, huddled amongst rubbish, pretty much? Yeah, pretty much. It was uh, we were we were huddled together on a bed, and just the the building itself was so badly damaged. The walls, the walls and floors and ceilings weren't attached to each other anymore. And you know, you were looking down the hallway of the the corridor hallway in the hotel, and it was just a huge angle and broken. And you could see that there was just a, a really bad situation to be in. So with every aftershock, we we honestly expected the building to collapse because you know the the earthquake itself is just so violent. You know, you, no no building can sustain that level of movement that happened. So yeah, it was really really terrifying. You know, and the escape itself was a story in itself too. I mean, we had to descend. You know, half broken stairwells with you know fire hoses as ropes and crawling over broken rubble and concrete and wires and pipes just trying to slowly pick our way down through the the building to get low enough to to hopefully try and get out of the building and that took a, an hour or so as well by the time we got the courage to do it uh ended up getting down 
to level 14, smashed a window out of the building and uh, and climbed out onto a roof of a car park next door. And uh, from there, we were rescued by a crane. Oh my gosh. So that was, insane. yeah, it, it was. It was, it was a really insane story. But from that, it was, um, it was a really hard couple of years. I ended up with PTSD, uh, which was devastating on, on my life, you know, on how I actually lived. And that grew PTSD along with that comes depression and all sorts of stuff. So it was a really, like just really reliving this moment over and over again. Yeah, basically. And also reliving the, the what ifs, what if it had happened differently? And it was a really, it's a really weird thing that PTSD does to your brain. It was a, uh, yeah, I mean, we got out, we were fine. We, we didn't die. We didn't get injured, but yeah, it really wreaked havoc on my life. So I remember I was up on that floor and, a, you know, a, as we were thinking about our lives and I just thought to myself, if I get out of this, I'm changing what I do. I can't live this way anymore. I can't just keep going into an office, sitting there for 10 hours a day, going home, watching TV and going back and doing it again the next day. It was just, I felt like if I was about to die, I wasn't happy with the way that I had lived. So I made this promise to myself that I was going to change what I did. Uh, and it took a couple of years to to actually start to realistically put a plan in place. And that plan was, well, how do we how do we make that change? How do we get out of that the rat race, or you know, how do we get out of the system of going to work every day and paying rent and mortgage and all that sort of stuff? We went through all the different options, um, you know, living off grid, buying a block of land, putting a yurt on it, a tiny house, the whole lot. And then we we ran across a a bus conversion one day uh we were uh, on a camping trip and someone someone was in a a big orange converted bus and they were <laughs> towing towing a bright orange hot rod and they invited us in for a look into their bus and the second we stepped foot in there we just said this is this is the this is the answer <laughs> we can do this we can i can build this and we can have our own home and not pay rent not pay mortgage not pay power no bills, which means that if I don't have to have all those expenses, I don't have to go to that job anymore. And mm. so we started putting a plan in place. We bought a bus and I started watching a lot of YouTube channels. And next thing you know, I was uh, buying power tools and I thought I was a builder. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting because w- once you once you can remove all of those normal things like rent, power, you know, all those typical bills that are such like you have to have a job essentially, or some type of income that supports that. But once you kind of remove that part of the equation, it opens up a freedom and a period of time for you to build other skills that you can chase and kind of go do the next thing, which is kind of what you guys have been doing with with YouTube and creating content is essentially opened up a creative craft where you can build a community and share your journey with other people uh, and provide entertainment for people through YouTube, you know, which is essentially, you know, mo- it's modern day TV. That's all it is. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a platform that individuals can create content on and people can support them. So it's kind of been an interesting little, it's cool that we can do that, <laughs> you know, that people can do that now. It, it is. And that's the, that's the key to this life. You touched on it, you know, perfectly, the freedom it gives you to chase those other passions that you don't have time for in normal life or start a business that you couldn't normally start because you're not going to make any money for a little while. So to not have to support yourself in terms of rent and mortgage and power bills, it frees you up to actually work on that business or, you know, that 
passion that you're interested in. And for us, we fell into YouTube. That wasn't the plan. We we got we've sort of, you know, it supports us, which is fantastic. It wasn't the business plan to start with, but it certainly worked worked out for us. And had we not created the time for ourselves, we never would have found this. Mm. So it's for me, I always wanted to have my own business, but I was always scared of losing a an income, losing a, you know, a solid income that was going to come into my bank account every single week so I could pay the bills. That's yeah. a real, that was a real fear for me. So when you guys decided that you walked into the bus, you're like, okay, this looks awesome. What do you do from there? And how do you make that transition from uh, working in hotel hospitality to finding a company that's kind of like a bridge job to jump in, in the RV space, learn a little bit about the industry while you're building out your bus. So what did that transition look like? Really good question. It was for me, the job in the camper van industry was still very similar to running a hotel. When you think of you know, the, an RV, it's basically a hotel or an apartment on wheels. So I was still running a hotel per se, um, just that it was also involved in the mechanical industry as well. So hiring mechanics and all that sort of stuff. So it was a bit of a learning curve, but in saying that it was still quite easy. I just went out there and found a job that was going to, I guess, help me get to my end goal. And, you know, running a camper van company was the one. So the transition itself was actually pretty easy. And I just made sure that I got out of that job, everything I needed to, to get out of it. I, you know, spent a lot of time out on the mechanics in the, in the workshop, asking a lot of questions. I was walking through the the stores department and, you know, asking the guys, so how does this fit to this and how does that fit to that? And they were all giving me a lot of tips. So I think the biggest benefit of moving into that industry was the contacts that I made. And I don't mm. necessarily think that, you, you know, if you're looking to convert a bus or RV or van or whatever it may be, you don't necessarily need to go and work in the industry. Just find the contacts who can advise you on what you need because that for me was the biggest thing. I could just bounce my my ideas off someone who knew what they were doing and they could confirm that I was right or point, <laughs> me, in, point me in the right direction if I was wrong. Was the bus build out, how long did that take? Like two years, you said? Yeah, so the bus build, it, uh, it took me about a year solid. Mm-hmm. So I was working on it every night after work and every weekend solid. So I'd get home, see the family, have a coffee, go out and start building. Um, mm. on the weekends, I would just get up and start, start building. And it was, it was pretty full on. And it took me a lot longer than it would take someone who knew what they were doing because I would have to, you know, really stop and think about what I was doing and then research things, you know, took me in particular a long time, but still got there and didn't have to pay anybody's labor to do it for me, which was, which was great. Yeah, if you don't mind me asking, do you have an idea of like total cost from like build out like build out costs of y'all's van? Yeah, so we bought the bus for ten thousand New Zealand dollars, which which is like seventy cents, uh, sixty nine cents of cents. yeah, seventy yeah. cents. Yeah, and that's um, our currency is actually really low at the moment too. So mm. hopefully it sticks around at that level for you. Um, <laughs> So that's about seven thousand US dollars, and then we spent around about twenty. Five, yeah, about twenty-five thousand New Zealand on the fit out and the full, the full thing. So solar and batteries and everything. So, so thirty, thirty-five thousand New Zealand. 
Gotcha. And was the idea that you guys travel indefinitely or was it like a year or two on the road? Did you kind of have a framework built out? Like now that it's coming up on a year, did you kind of have an idea of how long you guys wanted to be on the road for? No. It's one thing about us, we're terrible at planning. <laughs> no, we, we just wanted to see how it all went, really. We thought that this would that this would be a good way to get us out of the system and then we'd figure out what we'd do from there. So it's coming up on a year and we still don't really know what we want to do, but we're just loving what we're doing and we want to just keep maintaining this for as long as we possibly can. But no, there was no real plan. It was just, let's just make this happen and figure it out as we go. As I said, we still didn't 100% even know how we were going to make money mm. along this as we started this journey. And it just, you know, we, we just slowly worked our way into that as well. So it's been a real leap of faith. Yeah, so you guys are making almost or making a full-time income or almost a full-time income from YouTube at this time? Yeah, we've, we've just got to a point where we're, we're able to support ourselves off YouTube and Patreon. Patreon's our, our biggest income. Uh, it's enough to, to pay diesel, feed us, and you know, keep us. The biggest thing is it keeps us out of another job so that we can continue to make the videos. Um, and it's it's just enough, which is fine. We don't want we're not after being rich or making a lot of money. We just wanted to support a lifestyle, and it's just doing that, which is great. It's taken a lot of hard work and a lot of time, but we've got there. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I have seen uh, we have quite a few friends who are YouTubers and they produce content on the platform, and some of them do Patreon, some of them don't. And and I've heard good and bad things about the platform because in some regards, you know, I'm sure. It seems like you guys have a really good, optimistic, supportive community on YouTube, which is awesome because, yeah. you know, we've definitely seen the negative. I'm sure that you guys have seen a little bit of the negative side of some of the, the trolls on YouTube and things like that. But when it comes to something like Patreon, I've kind of went back and forth on the platform. It's like in what, in some regards, like some people might look at the platform and be like, oh, well, you know, you're a traveler. I'm not just paying you to like go travel the world. But in some in the second side of things, like what we were talking about earlier, like you guys are creating valuable entertainment for people that is the same as like, you know, people have bought into cable TV and satellite for the longest time because they want to watch shows on the Travel Channel, Discovery, History Channel, whatever. And YouTube is just the modern evolution of that. And the pricing has changed, too. So now mm. instead of paying money and dollars towards these big companies that are creating shows on the Travel Channel, ESPN, they can pay the creators directly and at a much lower cost. Like there's not... 30, 40 different middlemen, you're essentially funding, you know, thousands and thousands of these micro influencers and creators to go out and create content on these platforms versus like creating, you know, just paying like for your typical satellite package, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly right. And you, you said it really well. And that's a not an argument I have, but it's a, a point I try and make with quite a few people. I, I, you, the trolls and that sort of stuff. You don't. I don't get a lot of them. We have, a, as you say, a, a massively optimistic, positive bunch of viewers who really support what we do but the odd get the odd one sneak in who doesn't quite get what we're doing mm. and they'll see that we have a patreon page and they, they say exactly that why should i support you to travel around and live live the good life and the point is that no what you're doing is you you're actually supporting a creator to make entertainment it's a product and we're making it and we spend a lot of time and effort and money to make it and without Patreon, honestly, I believe that YouTube would suffer because you don't make – we couldn't support ourselves now just off YouTube, put it that way. Mm. The money just isn't there. So to break through from being – you know, to starting on YouTube 
and only bringing in an income through YouTube to be able to support yourself is just mind-bogglingly hard. You, you just can't do it. So Patreon is the way to actually keep those new new creators creating for you. And that's why, you know, our patrons are all people that just want to keep our channel going and keep watching our content, which is great. And, you know, we never, ever try and force that on anybody. And anybody who wants to join, fantastic. Anybody who doesn't, that's fine too. Watch it on YouTube and watch it for free. There's no problem there at all. Yeah, it almost seems like YouTube missed an opportunity by not having like a support this creator button because they could have easily built that into their dashboard. And now Patreon's just used by so many people. Um, it almost seems like they missed that opportunity because I know that creators don't get that much money from ad revenue. Like, like our friends have like a half million views each month on their videos, which isn't huge for a lot of channels, but you know, they're only getting maybe five, 600 bucks from advertising. It's just nothing for the amount of viewership that they're getting. It's crazy. It's dead right. It's, it's actually quite discouraging. And we often talk, talk about the fact that if we didn't have Patreon, we wouldn't be doing YouTube. We would be doing something else. And there has to be thousands, if not tens of thousands of creators out there that are in the same boat, which is why, as you say, I think YouTube missed an opportunity. But also without Patreon, YouTube would suffer big time. Yeah. So when you think about creating content for y'all's community, what, what, what comes to mind? Like, what is the value that you guys are trying to provide for people with your channel? Yeah, it's a really good question. We sometimes question that ourselves. actually. <laughs> we just, we just try and be honest. We don't ever really sugarcoat what we're doing. We tell the good, the bad and the ugly. If something breaks or breaks down or, you know, if it's raining and we have a bad day, we try and show that. I, I don't think there's, you see a lot of these, you know, hashtag van life Instagram posts and everything looks fantastic and yeah. everything's tidy and everyone's, you know, been working out hardcore and got the big, <laughs> the big muscles and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's not us. <laughs> and we try and we try and really keep it, keep it real and keep it honest and, and just be a family and show what it's like to be a family living in a small space, traveling. And we just want to show people that it's possible and what we really want to do is we want to inspire people to to try and live life a little bit differently and live and live a, a life on purpose. We often talk about you know designing your life and designing a lifestyle that you want to live, and that's what we want to encourage people to do on our channel is to be inspired to do something different with your life, you know, and maybe aspire to to live a life like we're living. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to live in an RV, but live a life of of freedom. You know, wake up every morning and do what you want. That's yeah. that's the point of it. Do you still think about uh, what happened to you guys uh, in Christchurch in that hotel? Uh, and like, think about like where you are now and how. Do you think that would be totally different if you guys hadn't had that experience? That's exactly right. And and I, I'm thankful for that experience. Now it took a lot of years to get there, and I actually am thankful for that experience, even though it was a tragedy and a lot of people lost their lives. I can now take a real positive look at it and say, if that hadn't happened to me, where would my life be? It certainly wouldn't be here. And I certainly don't think I would be as happy as what I am now. So yeah, absolutely very, very happy. And in fact, um, we've just been granted some, some funding by the governmental um, broadcasting agency to create a web series based on that um, mm. around, you know, what happened to us and our journey towards, positivity that came from such tragedy and not only us we are going to find other 
subjects who have done a similar thing and show that as well. So that's quite exciting. Do you still think about it like on a daily or weekly basis? Uh, no, no, that not time's really. sort of passed now for me. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to bring up like negative no, memories. No. I'm just interested. No, no, no. For... It doesn't know. We honestly, we talk about it all the time because obviously yeah. people are interested in it and that's totally natural. And actually it, that was a really important part of our healing was to talk about it mm. as often as we possibly could. And so it's actually really good for us to keep doing that. And that I think is actually what keeps away the thoughts of, mm of the the bad part of it but part of my therapy was that when the thoughts of the earthquake come up and they used to be a very negative thought was to to spin that into a positive and that's the positive that's come out of it is to say when i think about the earthquake now i think about thank goodness it happened because now i get to live this fantastic life doing what i want to do spending time with the family that i love so for me now it's a real positive thing to think about yeah i love it uh so kind of shifting gears a little a little bit uh we i told you this earlier but we just booked our our flights to new zealand uh and for i think we're leaving like march 27th and it's like a few days almost of travel just to get over there yeah. uh, and because i think we're also losing a day of sorts because you guys are 18 hours ahead of us uh, we, we, lead, we lead the world over here Heath. we're uh we're about 20 hours ahead of los angeles or something we, we're the first country to see the sun that's awesome. Yeah, so we're excited. I haven't left. I mean, I've been to Canada and Mexico, kind of. I crossed over the Rio Grande while kayaking on there, not necessarily legally. So I've, I've only been to a couple different countries other than the U.S., and I've never left the mainland, per se. I've been to Hawaii, but I've never been to any other countries. And so for us, this is going to be a little baby step. We also want to do some RVing around Europe. So this is like the baby step into another country. Uh, so I'm just kind of interested in to hear because I know nothing. Like Alyssa is very much the planner as our family. <laughs> she like literally has all of our roots plotted. She's looking at all the New Zealand national parks. She knows how we want to divvy up our time. I'm just like, cool, babe. It looks pretty. Like, let's go there. <laughs> um, awesome. I'm sure it'll be fun. So where have you guys spent most of your time traveling this past year? Like, how has that time kind of been divvied up as from a travel perspective? Yeah, probably about 50-50 between the North Island and South Island. Okay. So New Zealand's made up of, I guess, three main islands. There's the North Island, the South Island, very original names. <laughs> and then down on the bottom, we have a small island called Stewart Island. But you don't really go down there, to be honest. It's cold and you've got to take a ferry and you can't. Yeah, anyway, we'll forget about that one. So <laughs> the, North, the North Island and the South Island are the two main islands. We started this journey in Auckland, which is New Zealand's main city, which is the top of, well, nearly the top of the North Island. And we probably spent our time 50-50 between the two. And um, we, we love both. There's no, there's no kind of winner between the two. But um, yeah, 50-50 between the two. The North Island, North Island is the warmer and the cold, the cold island is down here in the south. Um, it's obviously the opposite to you guys. The further south you get, the colder it gets. The further north yeah. you get, the warmer it gets down here. So, yeah. Gotcha. So uh, what about, like, I'm just trying to figure out how life is going to be different RVing in New Zealand versus the U.S. I mean, there's tons of campgrounds here. There's tons of boondocking opportunities here. We kind of almost hover to really cool kind of smaller Big towns, small cities. So we, there's some pretty there's some places in the U.S. we really like like that. And then we also kind of shift our travels around national parks. So kind of how you how have you guys positioned where you go? How have you made that decision? Yeah, good question. So we we plan what we do 
very poorly. We don't. I'm like you. I don't like. I don't like to plan. I like to kind of wake up each day and say where to now. Uh, we use a couple of different ways to plan where we stay. So we don't like to actually pay for campgrounds. Is one thing. And and New Zealand's a really great place because you don't have to. You can boondock or there's a couple of passes that you can buy that get you into either free or cheap camping. So the New Zealand National Park parks is is fantastic. You can buy a pass here for about $150 and then you can stay in all the national parks for free, basically. Um, so that's fantastic. They're very basic, though, most of them. So the campgrounds themselves, you really do have to be in a self-contained camper van. There's no power. The toilets are very basic and there's quite often not a shower or anything like that. So it really is boondocking, but you have to pay $150 for the privilege to do, to do so. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're fantastic. We love them. The national parks in New Zealand are phenomenal, just untouched paradise. I mean, this this country was, I think, one of the very last countries to be colonized. So it's very new. It's only a, you know, a couple of hundred years old. So it's almost an untouched paradise in, in a lot of places. So they, that's fantastic. There's also a, a network of what they call POPs, so a park over property. Hmm. So a lot of private homeowners will decide that I've got a, a nice um, field out the back of my house and I like RVing, so I'm going to allow other RVers to come and stay on my field. So you can join up to a, a, a membership group here called the New Zealand Motorhome Association, and that's very cheap to join. And through that, you get access to just hundreds and hundreds of places to stay for free or extremely cheap. You know, it can be a donation basis. Uh, in towns and cities, it's a little bit harder. But again, you can still find places to stay, whether it be on the side of a road, which I'm doing right now beside a beach, uh, where we're legally, we are legally allowed to stay for two days. Or you can go to, you know, there's clubs or like, not Walmart, but like a big shopping mall that will allow you to stay. So there's, there's, there's plenty of places to stay. and You don't have to pay a cent if you don't want to. I love it. How long is y'all's bus? 11 meters, so 36 foot. Okay, I was doing the math. I'm glad that you said it. Uh, so <laughs> you guys don't have an issue into getting any of these boondocking sites at 36 feet? Not really. Most, no, there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a few that we, we can't go to, but there's a really handy app in New Zealand called CamperMate. And okay. you download it, and it's got, yeah, it's got every single place, nearly every single place that you can go and stay at, and it will tell you, what size vehicle that you can you can get into, and um, probably in the size vehicle that you guys might have, there wouldn't be an issue at all. You know, if it's okay. maybe seven meters is the standard camper van length in New Zealand, so that's there's no issue there at all. Gotcha. We're kind of sorting through a few different options uh, for getting over there. We found one website that's called Motorhome International or something. I got to figure out the name, but, uh, you can swap, do motorhome swaps with people. So if somebody in Australia or New Zealand, they want to come to the States for a few months. So you can just say, Hey, we're just going to do a swap, similar size motorhome. We've looked at that. We've also looked at an extended rental option, which for two months is going to be a little bit pricey. We've looked at buying a camper van over there, maybe trying to sell it when we get back logistically. We're Ooh. not sure how that's going to go. Uh, and then Winnebago has a, a sister company over there, Apollo. Uh, we might look at doing some type of content partnership or something with them. We're not really mm -hmm. sure if that will pan out. But have you talked with people who've come over for two, three months at a time? And what tips would you have from those conversations if you have had them? I have had a lot of those conversations, particularly due to my previous job in RV rentals. 
So, oh yeah. So what was the what was the name of the company that you worked at? Uh, the company was called Tourism Holdings Limited, but the the rental companies were Maui Brits and Mighty Campervans. Okay, yeah. So you may have seen them around, but they mm-hmm. actually own a lot of. They're actually the biggest RV rental company in the world. Um, so they own uh, a few companies in America and in Europe as well. So what we what we normally advise people was when we'd give them a quote to hire a camper van. Normally, if it was over sort of ten thousand dollars, or I can't remember what the, the the figure was, what we would say to them is, we actually sell camper vans through one of our other sister companies called the RV Supercenter, and they would do a buyback a buyback scheme for anybody mm-hmm. who wanted to come and travel for a couple of months, and the cost of the rental was going to be more than a set figure. I, yeah. I can't remember what the exact figure was, but what they would do is they would say, we'll sell you this camper van. And if you can access the, the the amount of money that it costs to buy it, you know, buy the camper van from us, but we'll sign a contract with you to say when you're done with it, we'll buy it back for, let's say, it's five five thousand or $7,000 less than what you paid us for it. And then they can on-sell that to somebody else. So that's a really good way of doing it. If you can do it that way, you own it, you you can sell it back to them and you get a guaranteed price back for it there's no hassles there's no haggling with anybody and a lot of people did it that way and what was the name of the company that does that do you remember that is called the rv supercenter rv supercenter okay yeah so they got they got two bases one in christchurch and one in auckland so they're really flexible and as i say, i used to to work with them Uh, i'm sure that other companies would do that but I i definitely know that those ones do it the other side of it is you can go and buy yourself a secondhand camper van off our version of Craigslist, which is called Trade Me, and that's got everything listed on there. And you can go and buy yourself a secondhand camper van, and then at the end of your trip, you list it back on Trade Me and try and sell it privately. Again, a little bit more of a hassle. You know, camper vans are uh, you know probably a little bit slower to sell uh, over here, but also in really high demand. Mm. One thing to one thing to consider in New Zealand is that it's actually one of the most expensive places to buy a camper van or an RV in the world. For some mm. reason, it's just they're, they're always in high demand. Everybody wants them. All of our baby boomers are retiring and buying them. So it's a very expensive place to buy a camper van, which is why we ended up building our own. Interesting. Yeah, I think it for a couple months, we looked at doing the buyback program when we go to Europe because we found a company called Happy Campers that they'll do them in Europe. Uh, so you can buy it and go for three months and then, yeah, like you said, sell it back for a few grand less or something like that. It ends up being like way less than what you'd pay for a rental. Absolutely. And so I think the stress, the it'd be the least stressful if we could find a good deal for something like that. So that's kind of what we're leaning towards there. I'll give you a, a name of the manager at the end of this, mate. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds good. That sounds good. We'll give him a call because we're excited now, now that we booked the tickets. We're like we're going and we're locked in, and you know now it's just kind of logistic planning to get over there. But the last question I had for you that was kind of just zooming out for a minute. I asked this on each of the podcasts: is now that you guys have been on the road now for almost a year, and you weren't planning on doing YouTube, but that's what you're doing now, and you're traveling around in your awesome converted bus. What does success look like for you guys? Like, how would you define that? I love this question. (laughs) Success for me is, is actually freedom. So when I talk about success, I talk about having the time to do anything I want to do. So in the past, I wanted to be a millionaire 
because I wanted to be able to wake up every morning and do what I wanted to do because I didn't need to go to work. So right now, success for me is waking up every single morning and doing anything I want to do because I've got the time to do it. I don't have the money, but I have the time. And time is our currency. We've switched 100% from a financial currency point of view or mindset to a time is currency mindset. So for us now, we've got so much more time that it feels like we are just the wealthiest people in the world because we just spend our time together as a family doing what we want, doing what we love, and it is the most successful I've ever felt. Even though I used to manage 200 staff and have a big job and all that sort of stuff, now I make almost you know just scrape by financially, <laughs> but I just feel so successful. So for us, time is freedom, time is wealth, and time is success. I love it, man. Well, where can people connect uh, with you guys online? Where's the best place? Yeah, so we have a website, which is buslifenz.com, and our YouTube channel, if you just search buslifenz, we pop up pretty quickly. Awesome, Andy. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. No problem at all. Enjoyed talking to you. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to that episode with Andy. If you liked it, Make sure to go give him a shout. Shoot him a message on his YouTube channel or on Twitter. Uh, you could reach them at Bus Life New Zealand. All the links from this episode are up on our podcast show notes page at heathandalissa.com. You can just click on podcast. Appreciate you guys so much for listening. I will see you all next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. <laughs>